podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This is the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello all, welcome to another episode of Armchair Cricket Podcast, a podcast focusing on test cricket by Armchair Critics of the Game. I'm your host, Ajit. Today, we have a much sought-after returning uh, guest. Hello, SP. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Ajit. Uh, good morning to you and good evening from my side. Uh, it's a pleasure to be back having you know a chat with you after such a long time. So, thanks for having me. No worries. It's always a pleasure chatting with you. And uh, well, I hope you had a nice day. I'm only halfway through my day. This is my lunch break, right? Let, uh, let's hope my bosses are not uh, hearing this. Yeah, don't worry. I won't dob you in. Oh, perfect. If we go back to the test series, the second test, you know, uh, between Sri Lanka and Ireland. This was the last one we were, our previous episode, they were through the first day, I think. And Ireland had made a very positive start. We were really hoping they cross 450, make it really tough for Sri Lanka. So my guest then had opined in spite of how well, however well they bat in the first innings, Sri Lanka will, uh, you know, come up with enough of uh, a performance to kill the match. That's exactly what they've done. Well, in the process, they've broken a record for Irish people. You realize which one that is? Yes, I do, and I think it's not a record Ireland would want to be proud of. Because I think if I'm, if my memory serves me right, the previous holder of that record was England. You know, in that Karun exactly. Test match, England scored four seventy, four seventy something. And uh, India then, yeah, 477. And then India made 700 and plus. And then, you know, just as you thought, okay, maybe this match is heading towards another draw. Because it was more or less a lifeless chipok pitch. And then England just crumbled. And India won by an innings and God knows how many runs on top of that. So, yeah, like I said, it's not, yeah, it's not a record Ireland would be proud of, especially snatching it from England. Exactly. So now uh, Ireland have all the record. So they made 492 in the first innings, yeah. thanks to 280 and another 95. So a lot of yeah. really good scores. I mean, 492 is nothing to be sneezed at, no matter where you are, no matter which part of the world. But Sri Lanka, when they come out to bat, they had a clear clear mandate, right? So they wanted to bat once, bat big, that sort of stuff. So there were two double hundreds and two other hundreds. So And they were scoring at, I think, comfortably four and a half runs and over plus. Does this surprise you at all? Um, I think, look, if you take take into account the fact that the first test match was played at Gaul as well, and, uh, you know, Sri Lanka scored massively in that first innings, you know, they scored something almost close to 600 runs. So I think Sri Lanka batting and piling on the runs hmm. on that ground is not surprising at all. Um, what I felt a little bit happy about was the fact that even though during the first three, four days, the pitch was really flat and wasn't really assisting the spinners, yeah. Ireland managed to post that big a score in the first innings. And I think that speaks volumes about how much they had improved and adapted until that nemesis spin bowling uh, came to undo them in that on the fifth day. 
So, um, you know, this Sri Lankan performance reminded me a lot about, you know, when in the late 90s, early 2000s, Jayasurya, Atapattu, Mahanama, um, Sangakara, Jayawadana in the middle order. Mm-hmm. These guys were just racking up centuries after centuries. And then Sri Lanka on the fifth day would get Murli out and, you know, the opposition would just crumble. So it wasn't really th- that astonishing that Sri Lanka piled on such a massive mammoth total. Hmm. Well, it was a Jaisuriya in this case, but uh, Jaisuriya with the ball. So yeah. Prabhat Jaisuriya, he, yeah. right? he took a 7-4, but I mean, he's he's taking wickets with a bucket full. He's played mostly at home and he's been like ridiculously yeah. successful. But well, going back to yeah. those innings, I think uh, before this uh, Sri Lanka batting innings, I remember tweeting, Matthews is due a few runs. It's, it's sort of, uh, you know, mm-hmm. fill your bucket time, I suppose, but they they all got out there. Kusal Mendes made a double hundred. Nishan Maduska, who's like yeah. uh, he's a good keeper, but also I think in this game he was playing only as an opener. He made a double hundred, right? And Karuna Ratna basically mm. started it off all. I mean, making a hundred. Yeah. Again, does it really surprise you at all that uh, Ireland were unable to get out of it? Was it sort of on on course for you? You know, like Ramchandra mentioned in your earlier podcast as well that. You know, Sri Lanka is basically a very tough team to beat at home. And, you know, there's always a possibility that they will come out and, you know, snatch that victory. I had hoped that given the first innings performance and the fact that not a lot had changed, you know, with regards to the pitch, Ireland could have managed to survive the last day. But they, they do mm. struggle against spin. And the telling difference was not so much Prabhat Jayasuriya, but it was uh, Ramesh Mendes. Because, you know, there is a big difference in his economy rate in the first innings versus the second innings. So, you know, he bowled a similar number of overs, but he went for over 100 runs in the first innings and I think took only one or two wickets. But in the second innings, you know, he took five wickets for almost half the tally of runs within the same um, number of like overs or balls uh, balls that he bowled. Right. And I think that was where the big difference was. Because if you see... You know, Prabhat Jayasuriya's accuracy, because I watched him play against Australia in his debut series as well. Mm-hmm. And he was very accurate, like coming around the wicket or even over the wicket. And, you know, he had the Australian batters in a completely, you know, spin, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And then I think he did something similar against Pakistan as well. So Ireland hardly stood a chance against him. But uh, rather than him being the tormentor-in-chief in the second innings, it was Ramesh Mendes. And I think it might have been, you know, mostly to do with the fact that, you know, they are very different sort of bowlers mm. uh, in a way. Also, I think Asita Fernando, but, yeah. that spell, right? Asita Fernando. I think he did pretty well as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fast bowler. Yeah, he did. Yeah, because he, he got three. He got three, didn't he? Mm. They'll just have to consider themselves really unlucky here. You don't often lose a test if you make mm-hmm. nearly 700 runs in it. Just that uh, no. they ran into somebody... Very, very rarely. <laughs> they ran into somebody who was, uh, you know, determined. And of course, they were playing at home. Yeah. And at least for Ireland, over the last two series that they have played, there's a lot of, really lot of uh, positives that they can take away. The results are not uh, falling on mm. their way. But at least you can be sure they can be proud of the way they have come up with the runs and they've piled up hundreds. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you, you look at uh, this, right? The last test, like before this Sri Lanka series, Ireland played against Bangladesh, but that was just right. a one-off test. And if you look throughout their series in Bangladesh, including the T20s and the one days, 
you know, their performances were incrementally getting better because, you know, they, they don't get these sort of conditions in Ireland and England. Most of their players have not even played on these conditions. Um, generally, when Ireland play T20s or ODIs, you know, they more or less get batting-friendly tracks as well. So to be able to acclimatize to the subcontinental conditions over a five-day test match, and it t- takes a lot of preparation, which they haven't had. Before the Bangladesh test, their last test match was against England in what, 2019? Yes, exactly. Oh, no, no, 2019. Earlier, but they were bundled out for 35. Yeah, for so, weeks. yeah. 2019, yeah. Yeah, but uh, don't, don't forget, they also bundled out England for 85 in the first innings at Lords. Absolutely, yeah, that game. Yeah. So, you know, I think when it comes to swing and seam-friendly bowling conditions, they might be able to put up a better fight. They're not used to playing that much spin. A lot of their players play in the county leagues as well, where, again, spin is hardly seen, like especially quality spin like you'd get in Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, India, for example. So, you know, I think with more exposure, more practice, you know, they can only improve. Um, You know, like last year when England went to Netherlands and just smashed them every Mm -hmm. single game, as the games progressed, Netherlands actually got better and better and better. And then we saw what their performance was like in the T20 World Cup in Australia. So they actually put up, you know, good uh, fights against some of the established team, beat South Africa. So uh, I think it's the same thing with Ireland. And I hope that, you know, other countries, like forget Mm -hmm. the big three, but countries like Ireland, Afghanistan, Zimbabwe, West Indies, you know, to a certain extent, maybe even Sri Lanka and New Zealand can pool their resources and start playing each other on a regular basis, both home and away. And this will only just help improve their game. And this way we get more test matches too. Absolutely. I mean, look, it's been mooted. I think uh, ICC might even be considering it a two-tier league where, you know, uh, so that there is an independent uh, promotion, demotion sort of happening every two years. You can have the ICC World yeah. Championship with two tiers and uh, let's say one team they gets demoted and one team that wins all the games or one team that wins the lower league gets promoted so that will keep that will give yeah, a absolutely. little bit more uh, lease of life so if i were to if i were to put it yeah. like that to test it and you know there are yeah yeah and there are many people who have been asking for this for many many years now and if you look at it you know icc has done the right thing in granting everybody t20 status i mean firstly i don't agree with this concept of of status to begin with because if there is a format let people play the format and then you know you just have like a global ranking or a ladder or just divide them into leagues mm. which is what uh, you know used to happen because you had your uh, full member status and then you had your associates and affiliates and then i think there were five divisions as such and then every time you did well in that particular division you got promoted into the next division so you went into division four then three then two and then i think you got your uh, associate status and then you know obviously uh, assuming that you have fulfilled certain requirements and your performances on the field are up to scratch you know you got full member status or you've got test status however the case may be so I, i think that is something that definitely we could look forward to you know this this phase that we are in now it seems as if this is a very crucial phase where cricket administrators are just about realizing how important it is to grow the game and how much money the sport can make and by extension each individual board or association so yeah good things might happen who knows absolutely look i've heard a, a lot of talk that test cricket is on the way out and so on but it's 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 managed to stick around yeah. for 140 years i think it'll just continue to reinvent absolutely 
we do have to concede that the yeah. number of teams that might end up playing test matches will probably reduce but it will finally i think 15 teams so it might sort of stick to that and it might survive that way or even thrive from then on but you know you you never know i think a lot of it depends upon the context of the match right mm. so at the moment because we have some specific rivalries such as england australia you have your ashes you have india pakistan which hasn't happened for many years now mm. now you have india england india australia you have got new zealand australia there are all these rivalries that actually bring people to the cricket grounds and you get equal number of eyeballs watching the game on the tv as well mm. Let, let's say for example in 15 years time you know you have brazil and argentina playing right. I mean, they are rivals in their own context isn't it whether it's football or volleyball or any other sport even hockey for that matter so you know people sort of do get attuned to that and you know combined um i don't know what the exact populations are like but brazil and argentina do command a significant percentage of the population in south america and you know some enterprising executive at a uh, tv channel might say yeah we want rights to test cricket between these two countries and once it is available and people are aware of that sport and the fact that yeah our two teams are clashing it uh, out on the ground people automatically come and follow these things and then you have you know people like me who will just watch any cricket match for that matter absolutely look at least for us we are uh, we are sort of fans and we are happy that uh, more quality cricket we get to watch the happier we'll be and then i mean we would like it at least for me i would love it to be the best the highest quality but it's not always possible and it's not always the highest level at least as most people would consider it test matches but i'm happy and i'll take as many test matches as i get so the more the better i agree 100% oh, yeah right. i mean just to put into context look at ireland when ireland first came onto the scene they had only what two or three players that you could say uh, people were aware of you had um, porterfield you had kevin o'brien mm-hmm. and maybe ed joyce and johnston later on yeah correct correct but now you've got paul sterling andy balburney you've got uh, your harry tector you've got your lokan tucker mm-hmm. you've got curtis camphor you've got that uh, fast bowler long um, can't remember his first name little now. is it josh little and uh, josh little thank you yeah. not long sorry yeah. josh little yeah that's the one right and uh, you know it's these guys are still young i mean andy balburney and um, Paul Sterling these are like the elder statesmen of that team but they are only 32 years old mm-hmm. they can easily play for another 3 or 4 years during which time the youngsters can be mentored very well and with the exposure that they get playing county cricket as well you know they're just developing facets of their game i mean it's a no brainer to be honest it, it they just need a good deal of investment and regular games that's all they need I mean you have to be a bit careful because um, now there might be a bit of clashes with people getting you know also a bit interested in playing the leagues for example like little actually prioritizing playing in the IPL ahead of playing test matches for Ireland yeah but you would expect they'll have to find to coexist with that probably uh, even as their development happens they'll find it easier to already understand and you know accommodate these sort of things for example new zealand is playing in pakistan right now and four or five of their first choice players are already in IPL so if you were to quickly switch to that yeah. series New Zealand did really well to hold Pakistan to to all in the T20 series but so far absolutely absolutely one way traffic eh? ODIs two ODIs two losses for New Zealand yeah 
Yeah, but even then, you can see that story. Like, uh, you know, I don't know how long it has been since New Zealand has toured Pakistan. Mm. But if you start with the first T20, New Zealand were bundled for under 100. Then the second one, they made a few more runs. Then they made a few more runs. Mm. And then they were pretty much consistently pushing 200 in the T20s. One day matches, I think the first match they made something like 270, 280. And then, but after that, they crossed 300. So, and you'd kind of think that 300 would be par on something like a flat deck in Pakistan for a one-day game. Correct. And, you know, they have been putting up the fight and the effort. And like you said, you know, if they had their first choice team, um, they probably could have, you know, really given Pakistan a real tough fight. And they might have been leading in one of the uh, series as well. And let's not forget that, you know, for us... We think of bilateral series as something really important, like you have to win it. I think there has been a very definite shift in the mentality of the teams, though, and the um, country's particular cricket board or association or coaching setup, because they see bilateral series now as basically a preparation ground to bring in youngsters, freshen the new blood, mm. and basically just test out team compositions, batting positions. And look at Daryl Mitchell. You know, this guy has always played, what, lower middle order? And now suddenly he's batting at three and he's hammered out 200s in these two one-day games. Exactly. I mean, that was the other guy, right? So he made 200s. Just that Fakhar Zaman outmatched him with 200s of his own. <laughs> and playing in the Asian subcontinent, you expect around 300 to be like more or less par score. Uh, right with uh, pretty much pass good yeah yeah so i think first game they were they were good but to make 288 as you said they are learning they are getting better as they go on i was a bit disappointed with tom latham's innings in both the games but i mean that's that's sometimes bound to happen he was the skipper in the series so will young who's the opener sort of did well in the first game right um if you are mm. a pakistan bowling attack, I think you'll be a little bit worried about your leading bowlers, Haris Rauf, Shahin Shafridi, taking a bit of tap. But Nasim Shah came good, right? So Nasim yeah. Shah's performance is really... Nasim Shah has been very... Yeah, he's been very, very exciting. You know, like that. I don't know if you watched his debut match against Australia in Australia when Pakistan toured here a few years ago. I think it was two or three I can't years remember ago. it, but and... I, I was looking forward to it, I remember, as somebody really fast, right? Younger. Yeah, fast. he... Yeah, he was absolutely raw, an absolute tearaway. And I think he was only about 17, 18 years old at that time. But he lacked that control, that rhythm that you need in test matches, you know, where you have to be a bit patient and plan for your wickets. And I think as he has gathered that experience over the last two to three years, you know, we can finally see what his true potential looks like. Absolutely. And let's be honest, Pakistan has always produced you know, a long list of talented fast bowlers. More often than not, their fast bowlers have lost out because of selection politics, board politics, and God knows what else. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's like this, uh, you know, mystical way of selecting players that they have. They'll pick up somebody who is absolutely, you know, unexposed at that high level at 16, 17, just on the basis of, talent and potential. And then they have also benched people who are pretty much you know, in the middle of a good run of form and are proven performers. So you know, it's very difficult to say how they think and the way they plan these things. But just coming back to New Zealand's position earlier, I think given the fact that the World Cup is now in the subcontinent, 
this is a really good preparation for them. So even if some of their players are still playing their trade in the IPL, they're still getting valuable intel about the ground conditions, the pitches, you know, is there, well, I think the dew factor will come in later on in October because this this time of the year you don't get a lot of dew. Right. But, uh, you know, it's just generally how the pitches play out. So it's not like they, they're losing on any valuable contribution from these players who are not actively involved in the Pakistan series. That That's just my view on that. Hmm. Interesting, because for me, they're also trying out some of their, uh, you know, uh, what you would call uh, A-team players or the next cabs of the rank. When it comes to Pakistan, there's Isanullah, there's Usama Mir, Aga Salman, all of these people getting regular games, right? Abdullah Shafiq, for example, in the limited yeah, absolutely. And the other yeah. thing they have done, they have finally figured out, you know, uh, as good as Babar Azam and Mohammad Rizwan are, they are probably better utilized in a more, um, you know, because it's an ODI, they are better utilized in a more holding sort of a role. Babar Azam bats at three. I think that's his been that's been his role yes. right through. Mohammad yeah. Rizwan bats at five. And that experience yeah. helps. So, in the second game, really, Fakhar Saman played one of the best knocks I've seen in a chase, 180. So, that's, that's quite something. But uh, otherwise... There was also a 50 from Rizwan and uh, Azam, which sort of set them up nicely, right? So uh, they were they never looked like they were going to lose that game, in spite of required 100 being about seven, almost right through. They never looked in any trouble. So that augurs really well for Pakistan. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in that case, you could say that it was Fakhar Zaman who anchored that particular innings because not only did he play at a fast clip, he made sure that he didn't get out. Because oftentimes what you see is when batters try to maintain that fast space of scoring, they're more prone to taking a few risks in the middle overs. And then when you lose wicket, what happens is the new batter then has to adjust first and then sort of keep up with the scoring rate, by which time you have lost enough deliveries that the asking run rate can climb very steeply. Then that adds more pressure on the batters down the order to sort of keep up with that. And if you look at uh, coming in and whacking from the first ball, it's very difficult to do that in the ODI because, you know, even though the number of overs are fewer, you still have 10 wickets. Mm. So, you know, you can easily get, have a team all out in less than 20 overs and just basically come up with next to nothing. But uh, in a one day, you have to maintain those 10 wickets over 50 overs. So maintaining wickets becomes equal, equally important. And I think that is where Pakistan, uh, you know, benefited because with Fakhar not only maintaining his wicket, but also scoring at a fast clip, I think it helped players like Babar and Rizwan down the order mm-hmm. sort of maintain that uh, scoring rate. So I don't think they ever felt that the target was beyond their reach because, you know, they, they went with, what, 10 balls to spare. They just took it very comfortably. The chase didn't really bother them yeah, much. Right? Exactly. Point that as for Rizwan batting at five, hmm. when Rizwan first came into the Pakistani team, he, he didn't start as an opener. He started as a keeper who batted in that lower middle order. And because he had this talent and proclivity to hit boundaries and even some of the big shots for six, hmm. uh, I think they tried bumping him up to an opener's role to accelerate right at the top. But unfortunately, what happened was, because it was him and Babar in the T20 squad, I think their roles, the the instructions they were given was, look, we don't have anyone else playing after you guys get out, so just hang in there, even if the scoring rate is a little bit lower. Mm. And I think now that he's back into familiar territory at five, he knows exactly what he needs to do. 
with experience, he has gained that confidence that not only can he hold that anchor role, but also um, sort of accelerate at the end like a finisher. Indeed. Now that makes sense. That um, that experience is there. I think he played a definitive hand in both the games uh, with the finish. And that's that's good. That's good that uh, he can always provide those. You know, he has the experience to actually sort of change. If you are setting up a total, he can give you a bit more stability. But if you are chasing a total, he can go after the ball. So I think he did well. Yeah, yeah. And basically, Fakhar Zaman is again given a clear, you know, clear indication that he should just be opening. I mean, every format of the game, he gets to. Play. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, it, it's a no-brainer for this guy. You know, I, I first, I think. The first tournament that I noticed Fakhar Zaman was the what, 2017 Champions Trophy. Indeed, that final, and right? And he scored another... Yeah, that final. I thought, oh my God, like wh- why Why has Pakistan kept this guy under wraps? And since then, I think it basically should have been an automatic decision that this guy just opens. There's, there's no point, mm-hmm. you know, sending him down the order. He, he should be there opening, whether it's T20s or one days. Because he, he's a very... Talented, gifted stroke maker. And, you know, hitting those shots comes very easy to him. He's also very pleasing on the eye as well. Hmm. He's a natural striker of the ball, no doubt. I think their yeah, yeah, yeah. plans are sort of taking good shape given that this is the World Cup year. And uh, the World Cup will be held hmm. in subcontinent. So, some interesting uh, days ahead if you're a Pakistani cricket fan. No, <laughs> I think with Pakistani cricket fan, there's always interesting days ahead because you never know how they perform. Your games are always interesting. Let's put it like this. Your days will yeah, always be always. interesting. <laughs> sometimes on the field, sometimes off the field as well, right? So, there'll always be some, the some news. True. Some news. All right. Yeah. Those were the, um, let's say, the live games that we want to talk in the international level. But coming to the domestic level, IPL. Well, uh, what what's happening, SP? It looks like uh, suddenly 200 was not enough over the weekend. Now, over the last two days, 125, mm. 130 is enough. I know. It's very, it's very lopsided in the sense that you don't have that middle ground of scores, you know, from the 140 to the 180s. Either, depending on which ground you're playing at, you have... Teams have scored below 140 or 200 and above. Right. So, it's very interesting that you were mentioning off-air. This uh, tournament has already had the most 200-plus scores in an IPL. And yeah, yeah. if you're yeah. playing in Vankhede, if you're playing in Chinnaswami, you know, places, even Chennai potentially, they will still come. Those big scores yeah. will still come. Those pitches don't seem to be tiring out. They're still so coming. What do you expect? The pitches will no. sort of tire out a little because it's a home and away format. So, at best, you'll have three or four strips that they can use, right? So, eventually, those pitches sort of tire out. You'll get those 150, 160 scores, which are then becoming good defendable scores. Not yet. But then, if you head away from Not there, yet. right? if you go to Lucknow, if you go to Ahmedabad, or, I know. Uh, they're, they're always, so even Hyderabad, they're always putting up low scores. Right, so low scores, yeah, yeah, and so, that's partly because the bounce on those pitches is generally lower than Wankhede, Chinnaswamy, or the Chepok. Mm-hmm. So you know you generally have to play with more attention that you don't you know start hoiking at balls that staying low or are coming off slower once they pitch. So in that case, you know probably teams already will readjust uh, the moment they start with the batting. I think I remember in one game, KL Rahul. Uh, talking to his partner and saying, you know, looking at this pitch, 150 looks like a good total. You don't have to go break the bank, try to score 200, make 150, this is enough. And they did defend this. This is earlier in the um, earlier in the tournament, I remember, right? So, and uh, Gujarat Titans once defended 135 on the same Lucknow pitch. So, anyway, uh, speaking of yeah. Rahul, 
Is it but the same Gujarat Titans, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, sorry, just to say that the same Gujarat Titans recently uh, lost against Delhi, chasing yes. 130 something, wasn't it? Exactly. So and, it was... and that's at Ahmedabad. So it's not even Lucknow. So I think that was like good bowling from Delhi, by the way. So first of all, from 25 yeah, or 5 or For something. a change. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you think the yeah. game is sunk. I, I remember tweeting saying the game is sunk. They're 25 or 5. There's not, not a lot else left. Right, five for twenty-three even. So, but then yeah. ha- Aman Hakim Khan he made a beautiful fifty. Akshar Patel made some runs. Ripal Patel made some runs. So, one thirty. In the end, you still think this is nothing. They'll chase it down in fourteen hours or whatever, right? But what really, what really changed the game is the spell from Khalil Ahmed and the Ishan Sharma right at the top. So, uh, first of all, Norkia mm. took out Gill. That helped. But then uh, they yeah, kept that helped. They kept Hardik Pandya tied down. Right, he couldn't get free, and with yeah. his experience, you think he'll take a dip, which he did. Right, so they also reduced yeah. uh, Gujarat Titans to four for thirty-two, and then Abhinav Manohar and Hardik Pandya, both of whom are big hitters, they took their time, knowing that runs will come, and once at some point in time they'll get some free hand. That's where you should give all the credit because Kuldeep Yadav and Aksar Patel bowled fantastically in the middle overs. Right. Yeah. And in the end, it was actually very tough. You didn't see how Gujarat Titans would win it. Then comes this twist in the tail with Rahul Tevatiya, as always. Three sixes, hat-trick sixes against uh, Narkia. Right? <laughs> then suddenly yeah. it's 12-06. Yeah. Right? And then 12-06 in an IPL game, especially with some strikers of the ball, like Rahul Tevatiya still at the crease. You think this is going to be a walk walkover, right? Pandya and Tevatiya. So you think Correct, one of yes. the first or second yeah. ball of the uh, over will go for a six, and that's that. Who's bowling the over? Again, a very storied veteran. Ishan Sharma. Ishan Sharma. So, what happened there? Well, what happened there, I think, is basically there for everybody to see what happened there. And it's not the first time Ishant has done something like this. I mean, despite mm-hmm. the fact that I still think you have to force Ishant to get into that zone where he bowls that way. And I mean, let's not forget the fact that after that wicket where Tevatia got out, there was a, a drop catch the very next ball as well. Absolutely. Otherwise, probably it would have gotten even more tough. Let's just say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So he was particularly unhittable, I suppose. So in that last over, uh, he bowled a lot of knuckle mm. balls. And I think he had a plan for the likes of Tevatia, who likes to swing the ball across. I mean, uh, I think yeah. one of the sixes he hit of Norkia was an unbelievable shot because it was on the fifth stump outside off. He just swung it across all the way yeah. for a comfortable six. So they had planned something yeah. for him. To bowl outside his comfort zone. Yeah, and look, to, to hit sixes like that, you need some assistance from the bowler in terms of pace. Nokia mm. brings that pace, whereas the delivery that got Tevatia out was a very slower ball from Ishant, which I think he bowled very cleverly, knowing that you know if he holds back the pace on that delivery, Tevatia is likely to just uh, sky it or m- make some sort of mistake. Which is and, you know, what I'm, he did. I'm fairly certain that. Yeah, whereas I'm fairly certain that if Ishan had bowled at his regular pace of around mid-130s, that thing would have gone for a boundary as well. Correct. So, I think he was very clever in the way he bowled, the way he delivered those deliveries. But, you know, Ishan Sharma, we have some horror stories in our mind. Uh, Oh, look, I I still uh, have horror stories. And I still think that this guy hmm. cannot bowl four overs without conceding one, at least one no ball or something. <laughs> Not just that. I mean, uh, who is the Australian left-handed all-rounder, fast bowling all-rounder? He doesn't get to play much in Australia now. I'll tell you his name will come. He hit a lot of boundaries uh, of Ishant, uh, one ODI series, like consecutive games. I remember this is... Like oh, oh uh, Faulkner. 
James Faulkner exactly Faulkner right yeah 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 so you would think something like that but then he's come back and come back how he's he's there he's not only holding back the runs but also you know actually this game they needed five out of five bowlers to get it right which they did yeah yeah so and look i'll i'll admit this i'm not a big look when ishan sharma first started i had high hopes mm-hmm. then when i watched him bowl the same sort of deliveries day in day out and you know sort of give easy runs and bowl those no balls i lost that hope and now you can see that over the last two maybe three years he has actually improved significantly not not just when he bowls in india when he bowls overseas as well and he he's now like this seasoned veteran in this delhi side and l- like you rightly pointed out you know i think his performance has been amongst the top performances by any delhi bowler over the last two or three ipl seasons exactly so well i'll retain uh, the question i have in my mind for uh, one of our upcoming episodes potentially does he belong yeah. in the uh, world test championship uh, final squad even as a mentor or as a consultant but that 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 will come later because the squad has already been announced all right that It has been announced yeah a quick update but if you go one step back if you go to the other game where rcb defended uh, even a lower score right so um, in this case you're thinking uh, rcb they really struggled throughout on that pitch but then again it was at lucknow but they probably again they they could have done well to adjust and get to 135 or something knowing that that will be give them a good chance mm. they would feel a bit let down again so um patidar has undergone surgery today so you would think rajat patidar who had a breakthrough sort of a season last season would do well and he's not yeah. available so then you are thinking outside of those three or four people who will really bat suresh prabhu desai has not done much kartik has not had a great year no. mahipal ramroor no. no lower order not much no. so no you one. think you know no. 126 you're going to lose this game right because you would expect yeah, somebody yeah because it's definitely top, a below par score uh, somebody in the yeah. top four to come good i mean what they had yeah. not going for them in this game like now is their captain if rahul had made a 30 ball 30 at the top of the order i think the game was done this is my thought process right we we don't give oh, him enough credit yeah but l- look at what happened with the previous game against gujarat titans where rahul did score those uh, you know runs run a ball runs only to sort of squander that advantage in the last couple of overs so i i remember what game you're talking of where uh, i think gt yeah. defended uh, 135 right yeah so, yeah i mean they they had something like maybe 24 runs to score of the last 5 or 6 over maybe 5 overs and yeah. they had 8 wickets in hand and they lost that game so that's a lesson there that you know you would expect he would slowly accelerate he would score at 110 but he would finish closer to 135 strike rate right that would yeah. finish the game off effectively yeah. but in any case i think if he had played and if he had gotten through to those 30 of 30 or so he would have given his team a really good chance mm. but that was not meant to be he came out yeah. at the end just to hold one end up he couldn't run really but uh, i mean to expect amit mishra to hit three or four sixes i mean that that's nah, a bit beyond just can't real. no you can't right? yeah too much and i think the responsibility of scoring those runs lies on guys at the top you know your deepak huda kunal pandya stoinis right. and nicholas puran and i think i mentioned this once uh, i don't know who i was talking to but hmm. uh, you know likras puran for all his talent and all his ability to sort of get his team through some really tough patches he just does not perform consistently enough that you can see him as a like threat you know you know that you know a 
cheap score or a low score is just around the corner and mm-hmm. you just have to bowl according to your plans and you know he, he can't make it through um having said that that is you know different problem for lucknow to deal with because i think they have struggled with consistency for the first half of this season pretty much mm-hmm. just as um uh, rcp have because you know kohli has been making those runs but his strike rate is still around 110 120 in most matches faf has been scoring runs as well but his strike rate hasn't been consistently high enough and then nobody in that middle order has been putting their hand up and performing on a regular basis like even maxwell hasn't performed really well in most games you know bad right. bad match here and there but nothing else after that the only other consistent performer that rcb have had is uh, siraj and uh, you know the way he still continues to take those wickets in the power play overs right at the top i think siraj has been the real standout as far as rcb is concerned and yeah. he's probably comfortably taken them past a couple of uh, tough positions to win them games mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. that have to has to be considered now yeah. mumbai indians have done well now at least after eight games they are back in a position where they have won four games they started really badly chennai actually squandered a couple of easy opportunities to win especially after having made 200 and so on dhoni was a little critical in that he said we can't give away these sort of games right so True. you can see you can see now the table has sort of uh, got a bit more of a flipped a bit yeah which is steady yeah Uh, Lucknow Super Giants and Super Kings. They have sort of slid down. Gujarat <laughs> yeah. Titans still retain their top spot thanks to their uh, excellent wins earlier on. Rajasthan Royals are also doing very consistently well, but they also have had a couple of slip-ups. So, you know, between now, position 2 and 5, all that separates the yeah. game is the net run rate. Right? So, net the next 3 yeah, games yeah. or 4 games. Very, very crucial for everybody playing. So, today, uh, even as we are recording, it just started. right so the game between yeah. uh, uh, the game between lsg and csk has just started yeah and lsg is already 27 for 3 oh dear oh i missed that yeah so it's not 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 a not a good start at all so you know uh, lucknow has lost manan kal mayers and krunal pandey already oh then ayush badoni is to astainis and puran then they'll have to do some yeah. uh, heavy 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 hitting for them so yeah And they have to Chennai... perform some wicked voodoo magic now. <laughs> now I'm just thinking Chennai, right? So playing at uh, playing at Lucknow, think with the attack that they carry, this is Dhoni magic, more of Dhoni magic because oh, he yeah. has a couple of learning learning bowlers. So Chahar is back, that is good, but he's not been particularly which is good uh, news consistent. for them, right? He's not been consistent yeah. this season. But Tushar Deshpande, Mahesh Thikshana, and uh, Patirana, the way they have been sort of shaping up, they I think they. it's like uh, chennai invests in people and they you know they get to perform for a longer period at least uh, or they bring sort of veterans and they give them the free hand to play however they want yeah but right. see this is this is dhoni magic you know like you say mm-hmm. the way that man gets the best out of his team play like who in their wildest dreams would have thought that ajinkya rahane will be having the sort of season he's having this year nobody would have thought that correct i mean the way he's playing you would even think uh, he might uh, you know start putting his name up for the world cup and the world test championship yeah. and so on he's this is the yeah. world test championship you sure. know, but yeah the last time i saw rahane play this freely was when he debuted in england in 2011 so you know we had that debacle of a four test series which we lost yeah, yeah. and ah. then in the one day series rahane came in as the opener in that uh, five match series 
And if I'm not mistaken, he probably had the highest run tally uh, in that series amongst all the batters. That's surprising. He has the game. He's always sort of played more responsibly, oh, yeah. but if he cuts loose, he yeah, has yeah, the yeah. game. You can see it, right? So correct. That was that was good to see. If you are a fan, that you know at least somebody like him, you don't want him to go away quietly and slip into retirement or something. He's blazing away. So he's no. putting his best foot forward, right? That's nice. Yeah. So now, if we were to take a look at the table, the way things are shaping up, who will be your top four? The knockouts. Um, look, I think it's safe to say that uh, Gujarat Titans and Royals are likely to be within the top four. I think Chennai will definitely make it to the top four. And, mm. and I think Bang- uh, Royal Challengers Bangalore will make it to the top four. Because I don't see Lucknow maintaining that streak of wins to remain within the top four. And I, I just don't think their players are up to the task this year. Because Mohsin Khan played a very important role for them last year. You know, bowling in the power play overs as well. Left arm right. over the wicket, seam bowler. He's injured this season, so he isn't playing. And I think that has played a, another role in how... I think he's back. You know, I think he's back. Is he? He's playing this game, oh, okay. if I'm not wrong. Oh, is he? Okay, we're good then. Yeah, yeah. No, but in any case, he was not continuously available. That would have affected their plans. Yeah, absolutely. No, he wasn't. Yeah, yeah. And again, it's that consistency, like I said, you know, that consistency in the batting performances. You, you know, you've had one or two standout innings from Nicholas Puran. You've had one or two innings from Kyle Mayers and um, pretty much nothing from uh, Cahill, uh, so to speak. And that's basically it. Yeah, I mean, Kyle Myers has been a revelation of sorts. Uh, it remains to be seen if yeah. he can't carry the team by himself, right? So that's clear as well. No, and that that's my point. That's my point. So if you look at Gujarat Titans last year, mm-hmm. every match they had somebody put their hand up and perform, you know? And more or less, it would be at least two players who would do really well. And that is what sustained them through the early part of the campaign and in the finals as well. Right. And I think this time around as well, they're doing something similar. And with the introduction of the impact sub, I think uh, Royals have found out a way how to maximize their batting using Dhruv Jurel in that lower f- uh, order uh, as right. a finisher. Right. And then basically opt for a bowler when they're fielding. So, you know, I think, and they have got the players to perform as well. So like Samsung is doing well. Uh, Yashasvi Jaiswal is doing superlatively well this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Butler has had a few bad games. But uh, other than that, most other people are doing what they do. Like Ashwin's taking his wickets. Chahal is taking his wickets. Mm-hmm. Trent Bolt's uh, opening spells are not have not been too bad. So I, I think they will make it to the final four. Uh, and uh, Chennai and RCB will make the two other teams. I think you're the that, second that's my guest. Feeling. You're the second guest in a row who said RC will make it. I'm still having my doubts on that because Mumbai is resurgent, and I have a feeling, mm. you know, um, it's it might not be just Mumbai, but also yeah, somehow LSG may find that additional little bit of kick in the last three or four games where between yeah, Kunal yeah. Pandya Maybe. and somebody like Kyle Myers, and they have a Quinton Decock sitting on the bench. I don't know what's happening there, but. Quinton Nikak is still sitting on the bench. I expected him to fully be included into the 11 because now with KL Rahul out of the way, probably they couldn't get their foreign uh, player ratio sorted out. Naveen Ulhak plays, right? So Possible, yeah. So anyway. Yeah. No, but then yeah. you could use that impact sub rule to make sure that Quinton Nikak is one of your openers, isn't it? And then Naveen Ulhak can come in as a bowler. 
they they had they haven't planned it like this i think uh, the thing about um, foreign player coming in is you should have already no more than three players in your 11 you cannot exchange an indian player for a foreign uh, player okay. they have ensured that yeah no i see what you mean yeah i see what you mean now because puran stainis and myers are sort of staple in the 11 then you are forced to let go of navinul haq okay. only then so, yeah so so let, let's so let's do it this way if you've got quinton decock playing he's your wicket keeper by choice then over right. nicholas puran exactly I, i was going to say that so puran can come in bad yeah puran can come in bad he can exit navinul haq can come in and just uh, bowl let's see let's say i mean they at least in this game i think they've blown it because they were they're already batting and there would be no point in introducing yeah. uh, quinton decock into the i don't know 7th 8th over um unless you're just no that's true because now there are uh, middle order so yeah it's definitely going to be you know one of those very tight finishes for that fourth third spots as well and uh, you know l- let's not forget that there's other people in that mix i think punjab kings is very close mm-hmm. yeah because they are they are on the same uh, number of points as the other four so you've got royals giants mm-hmm. like lucknow super giants chennai super kings bangalore right. and punjab that are on 10 points at the moment and it's just a difference of run rate to be honest that's it yeah let's see i mean as i said the next three or four games because you're already in the last one third of the tournament is going to be very crucial i think yeah yeah right and of course yeah. before we go away from this topic right one small mention well ashwin completed 300 wickets in t20is right so an ipl in ipl t20 t20is so ipl i said t20is that's not right in ipl so yeah yeah again kudos he's continually reinventing continually trying to you know stay there i think this year again same as last year he's been ridiculously consistent yeah no doubt about that that makes it very nice if you are a captain like because he can also bat a bit i mean i remember him make, making some slightly outlandish statements like i'm always padded up whether it's just for show just to keep the opposition guessing or for me to actually walk into bat i'm always padded up so you also get a little bit of mind games if he's in the 11 so i suppose right Well, look, you have to have in any top-flight sport, you have to have mind games, and it's all about like psychologically outmaneuvering your opponent as well. And these little little thing uh, tricks help at times. Hmm. Nonetheless, champion performer, and he's been you know there or thereabouts. We'll see World Cup here, which way it may fall. All yeah, right. Yeah. Now, yeah. those were all the things I wanted to mention in this uh, IPL-related topic. Now, going on, Andrew Strauss has decided to step down from all ECB roles. and uh, he was basically sort of mm. you know he was the chair of the performance cricket committee right and he basically had a lot of ties with the people that are currently in the squad either they came through uh, his time or you know yeah. people that he brought uh, brought up himself as a you know as a somebody with the ecb now it, it looks like he's decided to step back yeah because he he started as a Absolutely. director yeah uh, it looks like he's he's he has a lot of other interests he says and he's decided to step out um is this is this like a corporate move uh, sort of uh, asking him to step away or do you think he's done it voluntarily no i think he's probably done it voluntarily because let's not forget like and if uh, andrew strauss he he was the captain when england crashed out of the 2015 world mm. cup right and then when they started their restructure they appointed him as director of cricket and a lot of the decisions that the ecb have taken you know whether it was trevor bailey's appointment as coach mm. uh emphasizing white ball cricket over red ball cricket and then you know the eventual plan for succession especially now with rob key in that director of cricket role you know these are all andrew strauss driven decisions or at least his recommendations so 
I think for England to ask him to step away would be a grave mistake. And I think given the fact that Strauss has been in this role for close to eight years now, mm-hmm. um, you know, with a little hiatus in between. Right. And he has a young family as well. You know, he lost his wife recently. He's got two young kids. So obviously, you know, the pressures of the job need to be managed with, um, you know, his role as a father, a parent. And right. You know, just looking after his kids as well. And, you know, people do get to that stage where they kind of think the immediate challenge that was facing cricket for which I was appointed to guide them through is now sorted out. You know, there are people in the right positions. They can continue the work hereafter. So maybe he thought it was a good time to sort of move away from that role. Interesting. Uh, But then again... Hmm. You, you never know. I mean, with the controversy that, uh, you know, Yorkshire was embroiled in, which ECB sort of had to take some sort of flag forward um, because they're doing a corporate restructure as such. Hmm. It, it could be part of that. You never know. That's that's what I, I thought of. But I mean, he's done a wonderful job uh, in trying and help, uh, you know, structure and set up England for long term success. They won a yeah, 2019 yeah, yeah. World Cup and a T20 World Cup, right? Uh, with him sort of in and around the leadership yeah. positions. So that's always good. And now Absolutely. with the appointment of Brendan McCullum, they're trying to take Test Match Cricket also to a next level. So they're sort of in safe hands, I would yeah. say, even if he chooses to step away now. So uh, it remains to be seen who will fill in those positions. But uh, I think uh, I think at least for the upcoming short period of time, he's ensured the, the, the boat is steered in the right direction, right? Yeah, that's true. I think what I'm more interested in these four people that the ECB has appointed as independent, non-executive directors, I think they're called. I saw that. Um, yeah. There's no clarification. Yeah, there's no clarification as to exactly what their role is. And, you know, at, at first glance, the impression you get is representation politics because, <laughs> you know, there are three women right. out of four. Mm. And uh, one of those is from a sort of a minority ethnic background. And you kind of wonder that, is this something that the ECP are doing proactively to, you know, mitigate the fallout from the Yorkshire's racism row? And um, you, you never know. So, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see. Uh, let's really hope those people, are the, they have, it's a non-executive board member, but still, they'll have some say in the way the board is yeah. headed. I mean that's that's yeah, the whole yeah. point I think. So if you yeah. choose the right sort of people, their their input is already going to make a difference. Hopefully, exactly. Provided you know there is some sort of arrangement to act on that input or take on board those recommendations, <laughs> isn't ah, it? Because say for example, you service. can yeah, because you can have an independent ombudsman telling you, you know, th- this is what you need to change, which is kind of binding in a way because that's an ombudsman. But if you just have somebody who's an observer saying, look, this is what we think, you kind of go, mm. screw you. You're just an observer. Yeah, your feedback is welcome. You don't know enough. Thank you for your, so thank you for your feedback. We'll take it on board. But you're not obliged to act on that. I mean, eventually then it'll come to a review. And it's, 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 I understand. It's a bit of a tough, tough sort of situation. But let's see. Let's see how they're uh, trying to handle this. Yeah. Because let's not forget that part of these changes were because of the uh, review that they did after the recent Ashes, the 2021 Ashes in Australia. And I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Andrew Strauss was on that committee to do that review as well. So this is this could be part of yeah, those he led recommendations. It, yeah, yeah. 
he may have made the recommendation give me 6 months and i'll be out of here yeah, potentially could be. <laughs> you know you don't know that could be right yeah fine could be could be all right um well all in all at least with the ashes coming up i think broad has already started some uh, verbal fireworks man um, that so it remains to be seen that guy needs to keep his mouth shut because one of the statements that he mentioned was <laughs> i i don't count the 2021 ashes as a proper series i'm like well, who who the hell are you telling this to exactly after you lost 4 nil yeah eh? this is rubbish nonsense all right but i'm curious uh, which way it will it will uh, yeah. pan out at uh, there's an ashes oh, yeah. coming up right so those are just mind games you have to start like uh, early uh, the, like how migrath always says final yeah. right so that that's on par <laughs> for the course i'm just waiting broad has to shoot his mouth off as well and uh, say something that may or may not appear much uh, much worthy in the mm. i mean, he should just make a 5 nil prediction in england's favor right now itself I think he leaves that to Anderson right <laughs> between them they are both capable of inane uh, predictions Anderson usually stays quiet but I think he spoke by this guy into saying something equally Yeah I'm sure they collaborate on and off the pitch yep. The last topic is Nepal I mean the meteoric rise of Nepal over the last I know They have now beaten UAE in the ICC men's you know Premier Cup final basically the, it was held in Nepal yeah. but it had uh, it had quite a lot of teams participating so if you look at the uh tournament they had 10 teams participating right so you had oman malaysia saudi arabia qatar kuwait hong kong bahrain singapore so you'll see the who's who of the second tier of asia Absolutely. teams right here so but when you look at nepal right if you look at the latest icc odi rankings so they have actually re- leapfrogged the likes of uh, netherlands they're now 14th mm. does that make so you feel bad you, you have a steady top 10 yes it does <laughs> as a dutch uh, supporter yes because uh, i mean our team endured a couple of really uh, tough tours at least one or two times i thought they let go of opportunities to win games that were in their yeah. hands right so especially i remember once when pakistan were touring as well they couldn't chase 61 of 60 with about six wickets left mm-hmm. in hand those sort of things will come back on you and now you're 15th also in the t20is they are 15th netherlands uh, it's it's another <laughs> topic but you would expect you would expect nepal are 17th they are making rapid strides also in yeah. t20s right so but they had to win 11 out of 12 games to I qualify know. i know for the world cup and they did yeah. 2024 right and then now they have qualified yeah. for the asia cup so incredible incredible run of games and what should be the self belief this team has i wonder <laughs> phenomenal isn't it like i think when people talk that there's no such thing as momentum i mean yeah in a cricket game there's probably no momentum you know like the physical concept of momentum but psychologically you can't define how good it makes you feel how positive and confident it makes you feel when you have won that many games on the drop i mean in nepal was actually right. facing absolute elimination right. from that group they yeah. needed to win five or six games consecutively to even make it to the last three and they did that and it's not like they were beating teams like png along the way they beat scotland they beat namibia they beat uae mm-hmm. and that last game that they beat uae was an absolute humdinger of a game i mean you know there was a time where you thought yeah, yeah, uae yeah, is yeah. collapsing then some guy comes in from nowhere in that middle order scores a rapid fire 100 of i don't know something like 52 54 balls and UAE post a total of 320 something Nepal then suddenly are three wickets down and you think okay this is gone done and dusted and then you know these young guns that they have at the moment mm. they just come in and uh, basically you know just 
sealed that game for Nepal. Nepal then leapfrog uh, Namibia for that third position. And uh, yeah, just go through. And, you know, you kind of think, well, maybe this is what it is. But then they repeat that again in the ACC Premier Cup as well. So they are very lucky to have these guys like Asif Sheikh and Kushal Bhurtel, uh, you know, in that top order over there, contributing for most of these uh, victories. <laughs> now, the other important thing to remember with Nepal is how their board functions and how dysfunctional they are. You know, they are probably challenging the likes of Pakistan mm. and Sri Lanka in that matter as to how destructive they can be for their own cricket team and setup. Despite that, despite the fact that they have had a series of coach changes over the last two years, they have managed to pull this out of the hat. So mm. th- they can be a very good team. They can be a force within Asian cricket and maybe at some stage, even at a more international global level as well. They've got an absolutely passionate fan following in Nepal itself. I mean, those guys are just crazy. So much so that they... I think now cricket has pretty much replaced football as the national sporting obsession in Nepal. Interesting. Interesting. So that's a very interesting point you've just made that cricket has taken over indeed as the biggest, let's say, the draw. Yeah. 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 And uh, you you have all of these people, Rohit Powdell, the new captain. Yeah. Right. You have Sompal Kami, Karan Kesi, some old names. Kushal Malla. And of course, not to forget, he sort of slipped into the background, Sandeep Lamichane. So all of these people are there and the, the, the bowling attack is really tough to you know score a lot of runs against. I know. So, I know. right? So, I think we will really have a stellar ACC Cup this year with uh, Nepal. Oh, sounds exciting. I'm, I'm really stoked about this. And if you look at the rise of subcontinental teams, mm. I think there is always this rub-on effect because of the presence of teams like Pakistan, India, Sri Lanka over there. You look at Bangladesh's rise in the last 12 mm-hmm. months as well and how consistent they have become, not just at... They are, they are pretty much strong at home. They almost gave India a run for their money in the recent series. And uh, then they had that victory in New Zealand earlier this year. So that goes to show how well Bangladesh are now performing. So rather than relying on one or two players that they have traditionally done, suddenly they've got four or five players to bank on as well. And I think that's the same story with Nepal as well. So whereas earlier it was just Paras Khadka and then later on it was the guys of Gyanendra Malla or Sandeep Lamechane to mm. shore up the batting and take responsibility for the bowling. Now they've got these four or five players who are just performing consistently. We really hope, you know, they they also are able to make some big hits and make some big impact in the ACC Cup. Like, it's pre- pretty much the story of Afghanistan Massively. all over, but very, yeah. very encouraging if you are Asian Cricket Council. Yeah, no, exactly. And, you know, I just can't wait to see what the main draw of this competition looks like because there will be some really exciting games that will be there. I just hope regional politics doesn't get in the way and everybody gets to play the tournament as... You know, as we expect. Yep. So uh, it depends. I mean, there are some uh, interesting political ramifications between whether uh, you know Pakistan will tour India for this, or if India and Pakistan will play each other in a neutral I know. location and so on. So uh, th- those things apart, there is plenty to look forward to if you are a fan of Asian cricket. Yeah. Mm. And see, in my experience, invariably these issues have always been solved in the boardrooms and the political offices a few days before the tournament starts. And everything right. then suddenly, uh, you know, gets mobilized very quickly as if nothing has happened. 
Uh, that's what we expect as well uh, coming into the last yeah. uh, last couple of weeks maybe yeah. heading into the asia cup but yeah. uh, just an update lsg versus csk lsg are now 52 for 5 at the end of 12 hours ayo yeah. that's it that, that this their their goose <laughs> is cooked now uh, i think yeah. uh, chennai will win this how easily they win that's a different matter no that's the thing i don't think even if they come to 125 or something they'll be able to defend it against chennai let's see right you never know see it's a lucknow and again these pitches will be slow and uh, but i think i think lucknow have the players to sort of pace that innings very well not lucknow chennai. sorry chennai chennai have the players to pace it very well yeah. and see people like uh, people like raidu and uh, even with moin ali shubham uh, shivam dubey and rahane sort of hitting really well raidu is usually yeah. been the yeah. uh, impact sub he's not had much of a chance he'll be raring to go as well to try to no. get the job done Yeah, and then you've got Devon Conway as well. All right, uh, those are all yeah. the topics we wanted to talk in today's uh, episode. Thank you very much. I wish all our listeners a good day wherever they may be listening from, and a good day to you as well. Thank you, Ajit, and thanks for having me on the show. And uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure as usual discussing anything cricket with you. Perfect. Thank you. Bye bye. Yeah. Bye. This. is the armchair cricket podcast